Life in Sense. Hi, my name is Darren Rook. I'm the co-founder and CEO of the London Distillery Company. The London Distillery Company is London's first whiskey distillery in over 100 years. We also make Dodds Gin. As a, as a young man or a teenager, my, my parents didn't believe in travelling, you know, like in terms of going overseas. So we had this, this beaten-up old Ford Transit um, van that my dad converted into a, a camper van. And we'd drive around Scotland quite often. But we'd always end up at the whisky distilleries. We then went from Scotland after a couple of years to Ireland, and you'd be in the, the Irish distilleries. So we ended up at um, Bushmills. And I remember being in the Bushmills warehouse, quite distinctive. And there's the, all the casks and the aroma, and they had this, this little mezzanine with a cask fixed up front and the guy was giving little samples from one of the casks and just that, that amazing kind of sherried heavy whiskey aroma but it was much more approachable at that point as a as a teen you know and they were happy to give a little sample out i think going to the guinness factory as well at, that, at around that point too the, the heaviness of the beer and the headiness of the the fermentation and you know the, the mixture of the text, the, the texture of mouthfeel, and the aroma of the beer, and and then you know the kind of conversation we then had in the whiskey distillery. It starts to click. Started working in a bar, and as a part of that, I was sent to Isla, a kind of magic place in terms of whiskey. Everyone who goes comes back like they've been. Um, so I had a spell cast on them, but the the island's beautiful. You know they have their the sort of source of seafood you know from everything you could imagine oyster a lot of people who go to Isla always talk about samphire and lobsters and the list goes on fish you know galore we had three days up there going around again whiskey warehousing and it brought back a lot of the sort of fun memories from traveling with my parents and we ended up on um, Kilhoman Beach drinking whiskey with this amazing mist coming in from the sea and it was really warm and um, the guys had shortbread biscuits and all this sort of standard chintzy things that you'd imagine some oysters to shell and yeah the, again there's, it's interesting because people say there isn't a salty smell but there's definitely something an ozone element from the sea and I think that that lent itself to my own progression in the drinks industry and going to work for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society in Glenmorangie and then doing cast selections for, for online retailer Master of Malt and different bits. So, yeah, yeah. I think those early trips around England with my parents and actually experiencing food, fish and chips. Fish and chips always make me think of whiskey. I don't know why, but... Um, I think every time we ended up somewhere, we were, we were on the Isle of Skye in Portree and ended up in this tiny little harbour with a, a sort of fish tank holding this huge piranha and having fish and chips and then going down to the Talisker distillery and, the you know, the, the guy sitting outside with the rolling tobacco and the smoking sort of rolly cigarettes and, you know, kind of... Um, going on to, to the bay and the seaweed and all those things. So. That style and feeling and sense of almost branding of whiskey is something that you try and work with in the way that you want to present yourself? We're more about the education, um, the pure education. It's less about aesthetic. 
I think um, looking into the general drinks industry, people always try to pull some sort of aesthetic in. So it might be, you know, Scotland tartan and the mountains and the locks and, you know, they kind of move away, which is much more romantic, I guess, than, than saying, well, we use X, Y and Z yeast. But I think from my side, I'm trying to appeal to the people who have an educated palate and an educated nose and, and are looking to, to actually experience something new and different. Have you got an idea of who your customer is? At this stage, not really, to be honest. I think as time goes on, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, there isn't a fixed age, I think, on on the way that people look to aroma and look to flavour. You know, if you, if you enjoy great things in life... Then and you're over 18. And you're over 18, always over 18. You, <laughs> you'll find things like what we do. Um, you know, they, they, they almost fall on your lap. <clears throat> in terms of whiskey development, and it's something that we're unique in, in our position because we're starting fresh. Obviously, you've got barley and water and yeast and you mash the barley and it extracts the sugars from the barley it always takes me back to my childhood when I was a kid growing up in Newcastle you, the, the McEwan's brewery the Newcastle Brown brewery was right in the centre of the city and you always got that smell you, you're drawn off the sugars and then you transfer those over into fermenters and at that point you're adding yeast and the yeast actually dictates a large proportion of the, fl- the flavour and the aroma the end, end components of the spirit before it goes in the cask so we work with our yeast specialist Chris at Shawbrew. When we go to Chris and when we first went to him we say Chris we want to achieve certain esters, things like apples and pineapple you know you go through this list nuts and figs or whatever it might be and, and Chris would stop us at every time we'd say something that seemed kind of generic so for example apples he said Chris I want something that's kind of apple and you go okay well what type of apple and you can through the yeast selection actually create certain specific apple aromas like a Brayburn or a Golden Delicious you know they're identified through the mass spec so we use the fermentation as our base point to create the the aroma and, and taste profile that we're looking for when we first started out, we were using this yeast that Chris only dubbed Orange Esters. This is one of our controlled, our initial controlled rums. Find the right one. This is Orange Esters. And when Chris gave us this, he said it's a bit different. Obviously, it's called Orange Esters, so it should be orange um, with a bit of chocolate nuttiness. And, you know, even with the drum open, you can get that real whiff. So it's kind of marmalady, kind of a little bit caramelised and chocolatey. And that it smells comes... like, it smells exactly like making a Christmas pudding. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got that, and it's got that figginess in all the other bits. And yeah, really, like that, that is a key stage fermentation. The other thing we can then do to, to try and control it a little further, so this is one of our other drums. So this is the fourth distillation that we did with this specific yeast. It was the same as the, the third... With this one, we introduced a column because the way um, the English whiskey industry works against the Scottish, we can actually use column as a part of a distillation process for single malt. And we, we were just trialling, and that increased copper contact and driving through the plate. you still got some of that orange chocolate. It's a bit more kind of um, orange cordial-esque, but there's a real pineapple background. It's became more tropical. 
and there's less of the Christmas cake. It's more kind of, it is nutty still, but it's, it's a really different spirit and that pineapple really starts to come up. And then there's the unknown of putting it into wood and seeing, you know, the voodoo side of, of there's, there's, there are flavour creation there. Um, there's some science, but, you know, a lot of it's still quite unknown. And I guess this is where, you know, say with Thierry Mugler and Angel Weather did the idea of cask age and the, the fragrance is still massively vanilla based, but it's, you know, there's an, a wood spice element that you wouldn't normally get. young lad my my dad um, had a recycling company as a young boy we used to go out around with him and his first sort of factory unit was based on the the banks of the Tyne in Newcastle with that you know you had a processing plan you're bringing things like cotton so you'd have used cotton which would go to Ireland there was paper and you know the pulp paper and the smell of like the pulp and the ink and all the other stuff but he also would collect things like pallets wooden pallets and um one of, one of the places he used to go to was a, a dairy. So as a, a young young boy, and, and especially in the summer holidays, we'd go around with him in the truck. It was through the cooperative dairy. They have a production plant in Bladen um, in Gateshead, and there's a holding tank for the, the milk that they don't use that, that's now curdled. And it's probably one of the worst smells ever, but it's so vivid. Um, it makes me think of, of that time with my, my parents where we'd go out and you know, a young lad in the trucks going around working with my dad. I guess in, in the same way with perfume, gin has a, an alcohol base. What you would do is take the ethanol. In some cases, you can either macerate, so you soak the, the, the botanicals in the liquid and, and you put it into a still. And it can be stainless steel, copper, it could be a glass setup as well. And from there, you distill it. And at the end of the process, you have a gin. It's definitely meant to be juniper and especially london dry london dry is just a style it's not a geographic designation so most london dries actually are made internationally elsewhere london only has a small handful of distilleries portland oregon there's a few distilleries popped up and one of them specifically makes a sarsaparilla root focused style definitely less juniper based you see things like monkey 47 which is a great gin in some ways but it's it's cranberry it's from the black forest we spent a bit of time researching. We got some bottles from the from the 50s, 30s. Coriander seems to have overpowered, in, in my opinion, the juniper base now. So a lot, a lot of the big brands or general brands that come out, they've got more cor coriander seed that is proportionate to to juniper, and it really stands out. We looked at gin as a fresh set of eyes. It was about experimenting. So we we ran 
every possible tea you could imagine you can buy from places like Whole Foods and health food stores, wherever it might be, flowers, roots. You know, we, we distilled everything we could get our hands on through the Rotary Evaporator. So we ran 200 different botanicals or thereabouts, things from um, milk thistle, mace, juniper, obviously, um, and actually hot distilled and cold distilled, so vacuum distilled juniper, completely different. And whether you macerate or you don't macerate, the, the, you get more pepper content and the, the nose is more piney and citrusy on, on the macerated, whereas you put it in fresh and you get that kind of, it's almost like a turpentine aroma, like a really sweet turpentine um, that you would recognise as a kind of juniper smell. In coffee and in chocolate yeah. we've noticed that maybe 10 years ago it was very much people focusing on the ingredients and where they were sourced from and the quality of those yeah. raw ingredients and i'm noticing more and more people focusing on process yeah there's a bit of both we we spend a lot of time sourcing the best quality we can but also the methodology of extraction is really important um, there's a great book that some of your listeners might know the chemistry of spice which um looks at the pure chemistry of each botanical and actually breaks it down to in some cases cooked and non-cooked so you can see each individual chemical component coming off a botanical from a, the mass spec analysis and we take that and we've actually tried to use process to dictate how we, we put the flavours together and deliberately build flavour profile. Have you got maybe an example of something which you weren't expecting would work that well that just turned out to be really, really interesting flavour? I think the, one of the primary ones is red raspberry leaf. So when you smell red raspberry leaf, it's almost like a green tea with this little fruity back note, but the, the fruitiness is kind of hidden. It's obviously a raspberry element, and the, the green tea's kind of nutty and pungent grassiness. And when you run that through the, the rotary evaporator, you do a macer we run it through a maceration, 24 hours in, in the ethanol, and then you know put it into the... the, the evaporation flask when it comes out the other side it's so fruity on the nose that leads with raspberry and then um the palate's quite thick just really umptious when it when it coats your mouth and you get all of the the aroma of the the green tea starting to follow afterwards and it it, it was actually a huge surprise how much of the experience of enjoying gin is about the aroma of it we work with different glassware to show how the aroma delivery and the flavour, the ultimate flavour delivery of it as a part of that comes from the glassware. So things like with gin, we use the Riedel, um, or Riedel cognac glasses, and they're, they're sort of fluted, but they're, they're slightly longer with a, a reasonable size bowl, and it means you're, you're, getting, you're not getting too much of that alcohol burn, but you get all of the, the aroma... So when, when myself and the team here are sampling new spirits, even on the whiskey front, we, we switch the glasses out and we'll go through you know tequila glasses, sherry glasses, all the other things, um, and see what, what actually works best and then kind of make a, a decision on how we're going to present to our, our customers from there. So. There is a case of, of learning, and it's, it's more... In my experience, it's, it's the application of imagination against the ability to, from what you smell. So it's putting pictures or it's like a synesthesia almost, you know, where you, where you 
smell and, and that smell indicates something. So for me, as a young man or a, a young boy, my grandfather smoked a pipe. And it's one of the really common ones that people talk about. Um, he liked to whiskey soak his tobacco and age it himself. He had a little shed which was really dank and um, you could sort of get all those kind of mushroomy aromas from it but always when you went near the corner where his tobacco was you got that kind of fresh sweetness with the the kind of whiskey and sometimes cognac out of the corner and a little bit of vanilla those things when you smell a whiskey or you smell you know whatever it might be from gin i think they evoke an image and it's actually trying to recognize that so with isla whiskeys for example they always make me think of samphire with the kind of the sapidity or the kind of saltiness that you get from them and yeah the the sea breeze that kind of freshness and and i think the the menthol element that we get in in gin or the the pininess uh, when it, a boriculture you're a tree surgeon essentially so you're going out into the woods and for me that's my key identifier when I smell something it's just like wow does this smell like the, the forest especially the sappiness when you're cutting down trees and you know it always takes it, it actually brings me back to audio stuff as well like the the sound of the chainsaw and the smell of the oil and sometimes where the, the chain needs sharpening and you have to you know, get your, your file out and just the rasping noise it's in. and then from there you get the smell of the exhaust and some of the other bits aroma um, kind of reminds a little bit of kind of like a, a dolmada in a way so in both cases of my my wife giving birth have been present and the, the last one we actually did a home birth and I think um there's some some key things with home and actually with the kids being born as well. We you know, in both cases we've had these beautiful beeswax candles and um, whenever we move anywhere new we love to, to sage stick the house and you know, for me that's a it's almost like a reset button. It's the my wife's Canadian and I think um there's a little bit of this kind of Haida Indian kind of magic that that she tries to bring to the house or you know kind of that, that, that she's not indian but um she she's definitely um of that generation that that really feels the the a hippie almost element <laughs> that might be the wrong way of saying it but she she goes through the house and um everywhere we move she sage sticks but when when she was pregnant with both her children and and we were setting up for when she went into labor uh, mother was present at both and she went around with the, the sage and set the beeswax candles and very very sort of um indicative aroma of, of resetting things and of new life i think and and clearing out the the, the old memories So the gin, we use um, a London-based honey, and we change the postcodes up. And if you imagine the bees are flying around, and it's a bit like with perfumes, I guess, in a way, where the bees are flying around, and they're going to all these different plants, 
So it could be jasmine or beach flower, um, primrose, marigold. And they're actually collecting all the botanical oils through the, the pollen. And then when we put the honey into the pot, the sugars aren't volatile, so they stay behind. But you're getting all these really amazing botanical oils from the bees flying around. Steve Bembo, he was a photographer turned honey expert. And he looks after the hives on Fornham and Masons and, and a few other places. And we're, we're working with Steve quite quite a lot we're we're trying to build our own hives at the moment um this is from the e1 postcode so this is whopping really beautiful wow yeah that's, so that's incredible yeah it's really amazing isn't it and it's got this kind of like elderflower real citrus it's almost um trickily too it's like really really beautiful and what, what you tend to find, actually, what, when we did our first distillations um, using the honey, we didn't realise that the heavier botanical oils in the honey were going to settle to the bottom. So we took, took the first sample when it was fresh and it was great and perfect. The second batch, as it had sat for a couple of days, the oils had settled out and we were only getting the lighter citrus oils from the top and not the, the other bits that we, we'd recognised. And we went back to Steve and said to him, hey, this, this isn't the same. And he was like, I should have told you, you need to stir it. So there's little things like that, you know, where it's, um, it really changes, and it actually does change quite a lot. It's beautiful, though. It's got a really nice citrus element to it. There's, Steve was saying near the hives there's a lot of acacia, um, and it just sort of dominates and then you've got the, all the other bits There's, this year it seemed like there was a lot of jasmine flower and i find especially around the city and i find this really jasmine-esque it's um and some of that comes over it's like a a really beautiful kind of jasmine tea it's really, it's really amazing it's yeah. really. <laughs> this is wood sage this is a tiny little sample pot with a with the comb in there that steve does and um it's from it's from a woodland just north of the M25. It's so different in some ways from this. You know, you've got less of the citrus and more um, woodland elements. There's there's a lot of the kind of nutty beach, but not as big as as the the heatherling. There's still some citrus um, for sure. There's a lot of things like the cherry blossoms. There's a lot of cherry blossom around that area too, and it, it just changes the the aroma profile completely. But this is where on the gin we say crafted by season because of the honey. It's just such an incredible idea to think of all these bees going out and picking up these little bits of yeah. the of the landscape and coming back and bringing this thing, which is a kind of yeah. conglomerate of a space. Yeah, yeah. And it, you think a hive has what ten to twenty thousand bees? I think it is. That they're all out there just foraging these amazing aromas, and you know, you kind of wonder: do they have a sense of smell? You know, like do they have that. that that scent ability to go out and say, yeah, this. Because, you, you you know, the talk about the the colours of the flowers attract, attracting the bees, but they must have some connection with with what's actually being made in, in the pollen. Thanks so much. See you later. Cheers. Bye. The website's londondistillery.com 
and you can get us on Twitter at London Whiskey or at Dodds Gin. And if you want to email me, I'm Darren at LondonDistillery.com. Life in Sense with Joe Barrett and Odette Toilette.